1-855-651-3439. Live from the Brown O'Haver Studios, it's time for The Rush with Butkus Award winner Teddy Lehman and Tyler McComas. The Ole Miss fan base is super loud. Two down, one, two to Sebastian Ordunio. Brandon Johnson stares in to get the signal from Dunhurst. We're ready to go again. The one-two pitch to the DH on its way. He snuck him out on a breaking ball. And the Ole Miss Rebels are your national champions. 4-2 the final score. streamers everywhere. We got a dog pal in front of the mound. Ole Miss has won it all. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Now, I just want to say this to start off. In Oklahoma... We can't really make fun of anyone's um, uh, accent, dialect, it, wh- whatever you want to say, because we, trust me, I know, we speak our own language here. I know, but that, it's not as egregious as, he got him with the breaking ball, with like but five W's after that. You missed the better one. I know, it was the, <laughs> the dog pal. <laughs> The the dog pal is worse. It's I, I don't I don't even know how you spell that one. Four two the final score. Oh my goodness! Red and blue streamers everywhere. We got a dog pal in front of the mound. <laughs> yeah, dog pal. That's awesome. Uh, oh man. That's uh, yeah. Whoever was doing closed captioning uh, for that video <laughs> that was released, good luck for that. Good for them, though. Uh, deserved good baseball team. They had a good plan. I don't know. I don't know what like our scouting analytics was saying about how they were, thought they were going to pitch us, but it did not happen. You could tell by a lot of those at bats, like. They were sitting on off-speed stuff whenever they were getting fastball and were just getting it blown by them way late. But I'm saying blown by them at like 91. Yeah, you know, it's not like you had some guy up there throwing absolute gas. Um, you know, credit them for having a great game plan because the way they threw us, our offense was all kinds of messed up. Well, I I think um, until the, what, sixth, seventh inning yesterday, it felt like they finally got some confidence and kind of got their feet underneath them a little bit, but it took it took like 16 innings, it felt like, for mm-hmm. them to finally start to resemble that the team that, and, and that surprised me a bit because they had just, they looked so fluent the previous three games in Omaha. They looked relaxed, having fun, just playing free, and then they really look. They really look tight at the beginning of game one. Yeah, and, and that surprised me. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Like they had just made a killing on people by uh, remaining pa- having really patient at bats and you know fighting off strikes and you know having a good eye, getting hit by pitches and you know finding ways to get on base. And it seemed like they were never comfortable they were falling behind in counts way too often 
And I don't know if where that came from, if that came from like not knowing what to expect, trying to do too much, I'm like kind of stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit of what got you there. I don't know. It was a huge advantage for Ole Miss, I thought. You had the clear pitching edge in game one. Mm-hmm. You know, you're throwing your Friday night starter, and they're throwing a guy that had like, what, three starts all year long, something like that. Right. And the fact that he got out to such a great start and what was like four or five uh, complete innings without OU having right. a hit, yep. you know? So I thought that four, yeah. mentally that was a pretty big swing early on in the series is that they threw someone that – really hasn't played a starter role very much of the year at all, and he had that kind of outing. That was o- – OU was um, in uh, a bigger need to win game one than maybe we previously thought, or at least get off yeah. to a better start. Well, and the other thing is they they made uncharacteristic mistakes early in both games that they that they typically – that you wouldn't typically see them make. Um, the fielding Peyton Graham errors. Era. Er, 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 Peyton Graham, yeah. um, some fielding errors, you know, in, in balls in foul territory, base running mistakes. You know, there's there's all kinds of stuff that was kind of un, like we've seen them be aggressive on the base paths, and, and you can chalk that up to a mistake. But there was other stuff that you're like, oh man, that's that's really not their style. But you know, it's it's tough. It's tough to keep it all together for as long as they did, and. You know, just getting there is good. I know they're upset about it, but heck of a season. And I, I really do believe and obviously don't know a whole heck of a lot about how baseball is recruited, but gosh, having this type of exposure has to help them out a ton. Yeah, I mean, and that's what we talked about in the first segment of the show is, hey, great year. It's the best year you've had in a long, long time. Just make sure you parlay this into future success. Um, next year is a big year for OU baseball. And I, I, I don't think anyone's going to be rolling into the season saying Omaha or bust. If you don't make it to Omaha, it's a disappointing of a year. I don't think it's that. But you've got more minimum in your program than you've had in a while. And you've got to turn that into something. Um, I think you got to turn it into a good, with a good recruiting class. Help out with donations, but really have a good year next year and play that fun, exciting baseball that we saw. Uh, I'm going to guess that they are going to get creative and and they're going to do some really cool things to just try to get people out to the ballpark. Because I think OU baseball is one of those things where, you know, you have a certain perception of what baseball is and, you know, what college baseball is. But you go out and you're like, oh, wow, this is a lot of fun. I want to come back and do this. And I think that that's their, like, just get those people out to the ballpark and they say, yeah, this is something I, I want to come back to more often. Yep. I but agree. It, it's, it's a big year next year, no doubt. You just can't, you don't want to lose all the momentum that you have going in the offseason. Yep. Tons of exposure for the program. Um, you know, a lot of people that maybe hadn't watched a baseball game in a long time, OU fans uh, started taking notice and getting back into it. Hopefully that holds for for next season and next season rolls around and people want to get on board way earlier and and have that become part of their routine. So good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Air Cover Solutions text line 405-651-3439. I'll I'll get to your thoughts here uh, momentarily. You remember Colin Kennedy? He used to work here, right? Yeah, 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 sure. He's uh, big time at 24-7 Sports now. He wrote wrote an interesting piece today. Okay. He says the college football team's who are actually comfortable on the offensive line. 
And, you know, it, it seems like we bring up all these teams throughout the offseason and say, well, yeah, but are they going to be able to block anyone? We say that about USC all the time. Mm-hmm. So he listed teams that actually feel good about their O-line heading into the season, and he did list OU as one of those teams. Huh. Yeah. Well, I think there's I think there's a, a lot of reason to, to make that leap or to make that assumption. They've got some good experience coming in. Uh, that they've gathered through the transfer portal combined with some good talent that they've had on campus. I think the the development aspect of of what's going to go on at OU has been cranked up a notch. You know, Bill, Bill Beanbow has a style, and his style is, is hard-nosed, it's tough, it's aggressive, and, you know, just without – there's no other way to really say it. He wasn't getting that backed up through the strength and conditioning program, sure. Um, and just throughout, just through the general culture of the program. So now he is, and whenever, whenever everyone is going through that same type of thing, getting that same type of coaching, it's it's that demanding, it's that aggressive. Then I think it plays into your offensive line way better. You combine. Those factors, the the level of experience, level of talent that they've got coming back, Beanbow getting the help he needs whenever it comes to development, and a system that I believe fits Bill Beanbow's style to a T, and the the run game and the pass game actually I think helps out the offensive line and I think is easier to block. I think that makes for uh, a situation where you could have some really good offensive line play this year. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about this offensive line is I think it's fair to have questions about them going into the season, but it's not like it's going to be, well, we're going to have to roll out three sophomores and a couple freshmen out there and just kind of roll it out there and see how it goes. There's actually a lot of experience here, man. McCade Matower, who's, you know, he's a fresh face, but played a lot of football games at Cal. Um, Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes, they've been around here a while. Anton Harrison has played. Raheem has played. Chris Murray's played. Wanye Morris has played. So all like the main contributors on the offensive line at least have a decent amount of success. So will the offensive line be good? Um, I I think it'll be better than last year, but at least you're not having to deal with a bunch of of young 18, 19-year-old kids out there throwing them out there. You've got experience. Yeah, it sounds like Anton Harrison – has had a a really good spring and um, as far as I know a good summer, but really that spring and that part of the off season was was really big for him and he made some big leaps. I think your hope is to have Anton Harrison at left tackle, Wanye Morris at right. It sounds like Wanye Morris athletically he's he's got his physique in much better shape. He's he's moving around better. Um, if you have those two guys at tackle, Raym at center, and Murray and Metallier as your guards, you could have a yeah, you got a chance there. pretty tough physical group, yeah. athletic group uh, with enough experience there. Andrew Raym needs to have a heck of an offseason. That's he missed the spring, correct? And yes. that, that, that goes to, uh, that goes exactly what I was going to ask is. The offensive line success, I don't think hinges on one particular player. But is he the most important ingredient in the offensive line being a lot better? Um, 
I think that if if he hits what some people think he can become, I think he takes them to a a really good place. But I think he's also got why am I drawing a blank? Who was the kid from Arizona? Well, by the way, I listed Robinson and Marquise Hayes. They're, yeah, they're gone. They're gone. Um, the kid Conjol, Robert Conjol. Robert Conjol, uh, who can play center. He can play the guard spots. Like you know what you're going to get from him. And I don't think like the separation. I don't think between Conjol and Rame is all that much right now. Rame's got a higher ceiling. Um, I think Conjol is a little more consistent, or has been a little little more consistent, but. Rame, if he can get stronger, if he can develop some more mental toughness, if he can, you know, take a hold of the position and be the leader on the offensive line like we're used to the centers at Oklahoma being, then he can take take that group to the next level. But I I, I still think that like even if he doesn't make those leaps like a lot of people think it's time for him to. I still think you're going to have a, a good, solid offensive line. So you mentioned that you think Beedenbow – I mean, you, you, you hinted, I think we all think it's true, that Beedenbow thrives more in this type of environment, coaching staff, than no he doubt. did the previous one. I, I think that's without a doubt. Now, Baylor was on this list, and I think of what Baylor's been, yeah. that's the type of environment that you're talking about with Bill Beedenbow, where he thrives, where yeah. it's, it's intense. I, I know their head coach – never gives any facial expressions or shows excitement or anything like that. But that offensive line, at least in the OU game last year, kind of mirrored what the tone of that that program is. Yeah, and they have a really, really good system. Their, their running game and their play action off of it at Baylor is top-notch. It is – it's excellent. Um, but uh, OU is – you know, it's kind of interesting – OU is kind of a blend of some of that. I mean, it's, it's kind of really hard to put your finger on it. They'll do some different split zone stuff. They'll do some counter stuff. But mainly what they're going to do is they're going to hit you with the mid zone and do it fast and do it physical and do it all day long and just pound you into submission to where, you know, some of those early gains turn into big ones late, especially if you get some good physical play out of our running backs. Um, but, uh, you know, it also goes a long way whenever your offensive coordinator is an offensive lineman, right? And knows the position and calls plays, you know, as a offensive lineman. Like that's how he originally views the game. So it's a little bit different, you know, whenever he builds a game plan or builds a a progression from an install of a running play, to, to different play actions off of that system, like it's built through the offensive line. And, you know, that, that means a lot. Lincoln Riley is one of the most creative offensive minds we've seen in college football, but he's not an offensive lineman type of guy. So some of these things that he dreams up and are great, Beanbow has to find a way to block them. This is a little bit different process on how it's built. It's built from inside out from the offensive yeah. line out, and that helps. Well, I, even Lincoln will say, oh, you know, we want to run the ball, we're going to run the ball. And they did. I mean, they, they did at times. I, I think, like, where that whole thing comes into play, though, is when you're rolling, like, it's easy for a guy like that to run the football. Anyone can run the football when it's easy. But when you're down 
and it's panic time a little bit. That's where I think you see the difference in a former offensive lineman calling plays and a former quarterback who's got the, you know, the way that Lincoln Riley goes about things. When your back's up against the wall and it's really kind of, you know, cutting time deep, I, I think that that's where you saw Lincoln get really pass happy and hopefully where you'll see someone like Jeff Levy not totally abandon the run game just because right. you run up against something. Yeah, when you got a defensive-minded head coach, you know, that's possibly barking into the headset too with the, the defense maybe just coming off the field. Uh, I think all of those are factors. That's going to be an interesting dynamic. I don't know how much Bob did that early in his career uh, with, with the OC and the play caller. It sounds like he didn't do that very much at all. Mm -hmm. uh, when Lincoln was the OC, he just kind of let him do his thing. I wonder how Brent Venables will be in that situation. Yeah, you know, I think it's. In I don't think Bob had to early in his career because I think it was just kind of understood that you know, you're you're kind of a defensive like the the style of play was defense, special teams, and then offense, you know, we'll go get what we can and, and score, but we're gonna run the football as much as possible, possess the football as much as possible. I think it was just kind of an understood style with the team. And, you know, a lot of that has changed. You know, I it you're right. I think there's going to be a little bit of push and pull there because, you know, you need some statistics, right? You need some stats. You need big scoring. You need big numbers. You need some flashy stuff for recruiting. Uh, but you also need that on the defensive side. So, interested to see how the balance works out. Yep. At the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you're really ironed up defensively and you outmatch your opponent – it it frankly shouldn't matter. But, you know, there's going to be times whenever you're playing a really good offense in in a tight game where, okay, yeah, let's be smart here. If we're going to have to defend this offense who's a top top 10 offense in the country, uh, we, we need to maybe limit some possessions if at all possible, if we're having success on the ground. So... Don't know. Be fascinating to see how it plays out. All right, quick time out. More from The Rush coming up. Final hour rolls on next. This hour of The Rush is brought to you by Riverwind Casino. Casino and hotel. Over 2,700 electronic games. 30 game tables. A 24-7 poker room. And the best in concerts and comedy. Riverwind Casino, just south of Norman on Highway 9 and I-35. At Landers, we're all about you.
So you head coach Skip Johnson after yesterday's loss to Ole Miss. Sooners finish as national runner-ups 2022 college baseball season. Keep the text coming. Air Coverage Solutions text line 405-651-3439. I guess the annual Manning Passing Academy was this weekend in Louisiana. Yeah. And it was kind of a who's who of quarterbacks in the south. Uh, all the LSU quarterbacks were there. Stetson Bennett was there. Sure. Keaton Slovis at West Virginia was there. Bryce Young, Heisman winner, was there. Spencer Rattler was there, and apparently he had a very up-and-down weekend. Yeah. He won the uh, competition Friday evening. He threw a 40-yard pass into a basketball hoop, which won him nice. a year's supply of Raising Canes. But other than that, Rattler had an inconsistent camp. The consensus among those in attendance was that Rattler struggled on Friday night but did look better uh, in uh, – he looked to be in better rhythm, I should say, on Saturday. Am I – didn't he have an NIL deal with Raising Canes? Yes, I, I think it was his first NIL yeah. deal. I think that may – was that the first NIL deal ever for OU Athletics? I think so. Interesting. And then when, did we ever hear about it last season? Mm, That's when no. OU fans started to kind of – you know, get mad a little bit. Right. Raising canes. Well, now think about it, though. Like, how – okay, think about that, though. A Raising Canes and a dealership car had had kind of the potential to – and I don't know what it did. I, I, I didn't interact with Spencer, but – Judging by how the fan, like the the students, responded, like apparently it had gone to his head around campus. Yeah, sure. right. Yeah, I, I can't like prove that, but that's the scuttlebutt. What it seemed like, and we're talking about a deal with a chicken tender's place, and uh, getting a a loaner car from a dealership. Sounds pretty. Which Slim is, compared to what happened six months after he signed that deal. Well, I know, but what I'm saying is if that messes with a, a quarterback's head on campus, what does a $9 million NIL do? Or whatever Caleb Williams got out at USC. No, I look, 18-year-olds that are going to be making more than everyone except for the head coach. Right. I mean, they're going to be making more than the offensive coordinator, most likely. Yep. And it's and it's it's interesting because I think it, it Teddy what it does is it automatically gives you entitlement right and really as a freshman walking in the last thing that you really need is entitlement that's not how you find middle ground you've with done your team yeah that's not how you find middle ground with your teammates and establish like no man that's it's see not. in the NFL it's different because even if you are the number one overall pick. You're going somewhere where you're not going to be the highest paid player there, right? You're not going to be the highest paid uh, paid player on the team, and every other guy on the team is getting paid, right? Yeah, you're a first round pick, but there was a first round pick last year, and there was a first round pick the year before that, and the year before that. So you're a big deal. But it's not that big of a deal, right? 
we got new guys coming on every single year that are getting big contracts. Oh, right? now I mean, you might get drafted number one overall, but it's Zach Wilson. Well, if he if he doesn't show signs of improvement this year, maybe they look for a you know. It's, right. You're always at most a three year plan. It seems like so. It's just it's totally different than a freshman coming in to college and being promised all of these things up front and not having done absolutely anything. You're already being told that what you're doing is like better than everyone else. It's just a weird thing to deal with at that age. And frankly, in a bad culture, in a bad place where you don't get the right message from the top down, it could be, yeah. in, in my opinion, I, I we'll have to see. I don't think anyone knows yet, but I think there's there's some potential uh, disasters going on out Guys, there. Guys, what do you think the culture's like in a locker room where one kid's pulling down multi-millions and the rest are going without? Jealous. It, yeah, there there is a... There is a... Especially when you ain't done anything. That's yeah. the critical factor here. You've done nothing. There is an opportunity here. If you get $9 million just for walking through the door. Now, I don't think any of these kids are doing this, but you could really um, share the love, spread the wealth around your offense when you get that much money. But, again, I don't really see a whole lot of kids uh, doing that these days. Well, we saw some of it right out of the gate, and I think you will see some things like that. But, like Caleb Williams, for example – uh, gave the whole team beats by Dre. He didn't buy those. But, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, hey, thanks, man. But it's like, wait a second. You didn't do that. It's not like you went out and purchased that. Your sponsor did it. But whatever. The highest paid person often gets consulted on big decisions. Who's the first position coach, uh, position coach that gets fired because a highly paid player wants him gone? Um. Well, I was laughing about What's the name of the quarterback coach at Texas? Milwee. Milwee, yeah. Um, you know, apparently he was a, a big part of why Arch Manning went to Texas, right? You know, a, a massive part of it. Well, he used to be at Alabama. Um, it's not below Nick Saban to uh, hire Milwee as the next offensive coordinator at oh, Alabama. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be so funny. Uh, sounds like Rattler hit the jackpot. I'd try to kidnap Putin for a year's supply of Raising Cane's. Pretty good. I bet Putin doesn't even like chicken strips. Mm. You know how whenever, like, McDonald's, I guess they closed all of their restaurants in Russia, but, like, if you go to McDonald's in Japan, the menu is not like anything we have here. It's totally different. I bet that there's... I bet there's not a lot of uh, fried chicken tenders across the globe. No, like we have no. Here. You know what? It's probably a completely different menu. There's only one similarity. All the ice cream machines are broken, broken. in Russia, too, just like they are here. <laughs> uh, I guarantee you that. You don't think the Russian cosmonaut from, uh, what was it? 
I fixed it myself, and he <laughs> hits it with the wrench. Uh, was it Armageddon? I think those ice cream mas- machines are so cheap that no, no, no one can fix those. Yeah. Obviously, it's an issue. Uh, text line: I don't know why everyone thinks Rattler has such great pro potential. He does have a he does have a very good arm and is accurate when he has all day to throw. On the downside, he's way undersized. He's not fast or quick, and he panics when he's pressured. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. That is. That's a pretty good assessment, frankly. I think he's got a really good arm, really natural throwing arm. He's really accurate. Um, I think he's got some quickness and athleticism to to him, but he's not a runner. He's not going to be able to run the football well. And I think that's kind of where he got in trouble is trying to figure out, am I going to run this? Am I going to slide it? What am I going to do? Wasn't decisive there. Didn't just kind of have the the natural flow about him. Um, I think he's a good pro prospect because the NFL is much less about how much can you run around and way more about how well you can throw it. He is undersized, but quarterbacks are generally getting smaller in the NFL. Not the typical 6'6", 6'5", 235-pound statue. It's not really the case anymore. There's there's way more guys that are, um, you know, a little more mobile. He still doesn't necessarily fit that, I wouldn't say. But I mean, he's still a pro prospect. Is he is he a first round pick? I don't think Doubtful. so. I don't think so. Will Levis, quarterback in Kentucky, he's flying up draft boards. Guess he looked real good. And uh, AR- the dude from Miami. AR-15 uh, from Florida, Anthony Richardson, I guess, looked really good, too. Was so. the kid from Miami there? What's his name? Van Dyke? No, yeah. I don't think he was. Apparently, the pro scouts like him a lot. Big kid, 235 pounds, super athletic. So, yeah. Uh, Tyler, I'm glad you didn't spend the money to go to Omaha. I still would have liked to have gone. It'd hey, fun. let me ask you a question uh, while we're on it. Uh-huh. Omaha. You played that uh, audio from Skip there. Yeah. Thoughts on him pulling uh, Cade Horton when he did? Um, I was, okay. Just punched out, got the 13th K, got the record. I thought he was going to walk out there right then, maybe. But he let him face yeah. the next batter, and that guy got a single up the at, middle. At the time, I said, okay, because Trevin Michael had been just so nails for you. So it's easy now, hindsight, right. to say, well, that was dumb. You should have left him in. But, man... He had all the confidence in the world that Trevin Michael was going it, to it, – and he has had some six-out saves before. I think he had one in Omaha. So I had no issue with the, with the call at the time. Totally agree. Totally agree. Just thought it was, you know, it was, a, it was a pivotal moment in the game, and we hadn't hit that point yet. But I totally agree with you. I, don't, I mean, Skip makes that move every single time and never looks back. Sure. Uh, Kendall says, how about Skip calling out John Hoover? Someone else asking about that situation I heard as well. A, I heard people referencing it, but I didn't see that. Well, here you go. Environment. That's what's awesome about it. Okay, Josh. Yeah, Skip. Josh Kyle with all Sooners. Uh, I know it's kind of adding on to that. I know it's probably pretty tough because the season just ended, but are you able to have an appreciation, you know, just for this year and everything the team accomplished and, and this run, obviously, to this point? No, not really. I'm, I wanted to win the national championship. That's what was my goal was, and uh, uh, and it'll continue to be my goal. And you and John, uh, y'all fueled us a lot all year long 
with the tweets and stuff about us being the last place team in the SEC. I wanted to wait till the end to tell you that, and I appreciated that, and so did every player on our team. <laughs> you like that, huh? He's, he's waiting for it. Dang. Not, no, don't ask me what they said or what they wrote. I, I don't know, and I don't want to you know, speculate or, or misquote any of the things that they, they said, but obviously Skip knows what they said or what they wrote. Let me go back through my timeline real quick and, uh, and delete anything if I happen to say uh, anything out of line. Uh, how about that? Dang. Okay. <laughs> wow. Man. All right. That's uh, – You just got to sit there and take that too. Sit there yeah, like, what are you going right, to say? All right. Uh, thanks, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it again next year. If, that, if it really helped, we'll do it again next year. Wow. All right. Quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. In studio, couple of segments left. Six five one three four three nine on the text line. Kate Horton, after the game last night, that's at least the tone that he's definitely considering coming back for next season. And as of right now, he's got to consider coming back next season because he probably wasn't, a, you know, very high on a whole lot of draft boards a month ago. So, yeah, I, I think that he's definitely considering and probably even heavily leaning towards coming back. What makes me nervous, though, selfishly, because I want him back next year, is when, you know, some Major League Baseball team says, yeah, how about $5 million? We'll, we'll just go ahead and draft you this year. How's that sound? Right. Um, let's see. The uh, When is the draft? It's coming up pretty quick, isn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Trying to find the exact date here. But... Which, by the way, we had some differing opinions on the, uh, on the text line. This one says, you can't extend Cade Horton after 107 pitches and coming off Tommy John surgery. He did the right thing. This one says you don't pull a guy still throwing in the 90s. Well, I don't – I mean, the the 107 pitches is – I mean, that's high, but it's not outlandishly high. Um, it's pretty high for a college baseball player. Um, yeah. But I – I understand what you're you're saying. Yeah, there, I, I I mean I I don't have any problem with what he did. I just know and the only reason I ask the question is because I know that it was a. I mean, it's a talking point surrounding the game. You know, like hey, is, you know, was that really the um, the right move? And like I had no problem with it. Um, July seventeenth through the nineteenth, uh, by the way, is uh, when the draft is, but. You know, I it's it was in a it was a, a big move in the game. You had the lead. Um, he'd struck out thirteen. Did just give up the hit and pulled him out, and things turned. So uh, I don't I don't think it's anything that you even second guess at all. But 
It's a top talking point for sure. You think Lane Kiffin was happy yesterday, or do you think he was uh, a little bit bummed? Because he's never going to win a national championship at Ole Miss, and I don't know if that changes the expectations at all for the football program, but... You know, there's naturally a, oh, well, we want a championship, kind of what, what what can we do now type of thing. I wonder if Kiffin was like, ah, oh, I, I liked it better when they were kind of falling short every single year. Yeah, stealing his thunder a little bit. Um, hmm. Maybe they win a championship and the resources that you're used to getting may go to the baseball program, you know, yeah. instead. Yeah, and people give up on you a little bit. No, I don't know. I think – I think his his thought should be uh, any success in the program, basketball, football, baseball, softball, refre- uh, reflects well on the athletic department and typically is beneficial for everyone. Um, now, that doesn't mean some personal jealousy isn't in there with him. I I could see that happening with that guy. I could definitely see it happening with with him. There is no doubt about that. With the egos that are in the SEC, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the football coach pulls against the uh, baseball team. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Hmm. Well. He wasn't there. I don't think he was there. Yeah. It didn't look like it. You would think that they would have been dying to show him if he was. Um, but, I, hey, that audio from Kate Horton is interesting. Um, he said, hopefully I can be here again, or I mean, we can be here again. Yeah. So. I, I thought we were going to have uh, even more of an entertaining day yesterday because you're you know kind of scrolling through Twitter before the game, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm uh, hearing that the Seahawks are prepared to make an offer for uh, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And that still hasn't happened yet. Maybe that was uh, erroneous reports. I don't know, mm. but Baker Watch is still – Continuing. I think that there's probably a conversation happening. There's a lot of moving parts there. Um, you know, Cleveland is like part of the negotiation is how much of that guaranteed 18.8 are they going to eat in order to make the trade? Um, and, you know, it's probably going to have to be nine, 10 million bucks. That ne- negotiation's going on. There's probably also a negotiation going on between Seattle and and Baker Mayfield's representation on um, give us some, like maybe they want a long-term deal uh, to extend him and give themselves some flexibility, some years on the end of it. Um, Maybe Baker Mayfield's the one saying, give me an extension and some flexibility on the end of it. Uh, But so there's, there's probably that negotiation going on as well. The only one that's pressed for time here is Cleveland. Because, you know, they've got a guaranteed guaranteed contract that they're going to have to start forking over dough for. And, um, you know, I'm this Deshaun Watson deal is not looking better. Frankly, it looks worse and worse uh, with every passing day. And, you know, I don't know that ultimately uh, he may get suspended for a year. It may be more than that. They may there may the, be the charges NFL, that show up. The NFL is going to get hammered if they don't if it's not a lengthy suspension. The Houston Texans has now been drug into this thing yeah. because of I guess they made an NDA for him to start giving to masseuses or something. I don't I don't exactly know, but it's looking uglier and uglier for him. And my guess is Cleveland is 
probably also wanting to get a trade and get uh, another option at quarterback. So, I don't know. It's wild. It's wild. I don't know what option that would be right now. Yeah. Uh, Some people have said uh, the Garaputo kid from the 49ers. Don't know. There's a couple of different guys there in, in Seattle. Don't know. Drew Locke? They're going to they're go get Drew Locke? <laughs> okay, have fun. Uh, they don't have, have fun me. with Drew. I know, uh, I no, know. I, I mean, he, maybe he's got to be one of the best. He was a starting quarterback in the NFL last year, yeah. which is hard to find, but hard doesn't mean find. he was a very good one. Right, yeah. So the, their best option is uh, the one that they backstabbed. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, they're having to trade away and pay. They're going to pay him probably $10 million and trade him away for someone that's not as good. Brutal. 100%. But, hey, it's Cleveland. They earned it. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up the day next in Studio 651-3439.